Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right, thank you. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, gets a little thinned out after worship. Uh, I, some of you might not know, but um, all year, the second year school of ministry, uh, Lindy oversees that, and they they have uh, she had part of their assignment as a class that they would come to both worship sets, and so they've been uh, they've just been helping to propel our worship, and uh, worship's been great. Uh, I love to worship here. It's amazing. And uh, Justin was talking about taxes. I, I was just ran across. Will Rogers is a is a philosopher, comedian from many decades ago. But he said of this about taxes. He said the difference between death and taxes is is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. So so I don't know. I thought it was pretty good, but. But God is renewing my mind around taxes. I thought the Lord gave me a word once that it was okay to cuss on April 15th every year. I don't know if that was the Lord or not, but he's renewing my mind. And so I'm just looking for that fish to provide as he does. So Turn your Bibles to Genesis 50, if you would. And greetings from Bethel, Cleveland. So last Sunday I was in Bethel, Cleveland, and uh, they just have a, they say hello to you and kind of a East Coast sister church and went up there to just spend a day or two with the pastor and his throat was sore, so he picked me up and said, can you preach in 10 minutes? So, yeah, something going on over there. So Genesis 50, just a backdrop of the story Joseph's dad had died, and Joseph has, was be, give, given instructions about where his dad wanted to be buried, and he, he really gave an oath to his father about that. And so um, Joseph, if you watch through the story, Joseph went to Pharaoh and asked permission to do that. It was a sign of honor. It was cool the way they interact. And there was like 50 days, 70 days of, of mourning in the nation over Joseph's father, Jacob. And then, and, uh, and as I was reading that, I was like, oh boy, they, they really mourn. Maybe they know something more about love and family that we could reclaim. The nation was just mourning. And uh, I remember, I wonder the last time we just as a nation would, would mourn for our presidents. You know, our presidents are just, our political climate is so tough. Pick your party. You know, just keep going back. When's the last one where our nation would mourn for 70 days for our leader? But I think, uh, you know the story. Um, Joseph, I, one of the first messages I ever preached uh, was as an elder 30 years ago was the ups and downs of Joseph. He had an up and down life. And you know the story, he was, he's probably had a lot of favor on his life. His dad loved him. Uh, dad gave him this expensive coat of many colors. He was probably a little bit snarky and flaunted it in front of his brothers. 
they dug a hole through him and it left him to die. Pretty hardcore, you know, sibling rivalry. So, and you know the story he was gathered out of that, discovered, and ended up sold as a slave, ended up at this man Potiphar's house, and he carried favor, like favor was on his life, everything he touched. Potiphar's house started to prosper. I was thinking about, I wonder what the pillow talk was like with Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar. And Potiphar's like, man, since Joseph's been here, we're making a lot of money, and he's taking care of everything, and I can go on a vacation, and it's the best thing's ever happened to me. Not sure what Potiphar's wife was thinking about with a pillow talk. I think we know. And it uh, wasn't even the first case of sex- sexual harassment in the Bible. Sexual harassment's about power. She had the power. And he said no. He had a moral, he had a moral crisis, he, and he passed the test. You hear the ups and downs of Joseph, and, of course, he's thrown into jail again. And there he makes friends and the interpretation of dreams and and he helps some brothers out, helps some friends out. He says, don't forget me. Friends forgot him. Ups and downs of Joseph. Joseph had opportunities to become bitter. He had opportunities to have guile. He had opportunities to be vengeful. He had opportunities to walk in self-pity. He had opportunities to get sidetracked. And you, we have all known people that fall away from their faith or they, they get sidetracked or they fall morally. Joseph is passing the tests, winning the battles, overcoming. And I see him in, eight, in verse 18 and 20 is coming as coming a, as, a, as a man that's been Got some scars on life in him. He could be walking in bitterness that all the years he lost in prison. He could be walking in bitterness that all he did was serve Potiphar and look what happened. He could be walking in bitterness that those brothers that were there to protect him, who their assignment in life, protect your little brother, failed in their assignment, more than failed, doomed him to death. He, but he walked through those paths, and he's a hero to me. And I just, I, I don't necessarily see in the spirit like Blake, but I just had this sense of him getting to this moment, looking like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Remember the big white, uh, like a sheepskin on his shoulders, and the, he's a warrior, a warrior king, a frontline warrior king. And he showed the, in the battle scars of Joseph, who's won the battle, won the battle of no guile, won the battle of no bitterness, won the battle of forgiving those, won the battle that when he was now in power, true humility is restrained power. Now he's in power. He restrains himself and says to his brothers, he's standing there. Can see the war. I can just see the warrior stripes, the warrior paint, the scars. The scars are there. They're not ugly. They're actually signs of battles won. They're they're medals. 
He's got the scars of life because life's tough, isn't it? We live in a fallen world. It's a broken world. And life's tough, and you can't get through it without some scars. But this man had as many obstacles as any of us, I would, I would imagine. And he's standing in Genesis 50, 18, toward the end of his life, in the scars. And he's, he's got, I can see his battle. He's battle-worn. He's strong. He's pure. He's won battles. There's no guile. There's no baggage on him. What if we got to toward the end of our life and could say the same thing? There have been some th- huge battles. There's been some huge stones in my way. There's been some huge opportunities to be offended. And he's standing there as a warrior king. He's standing there as the kingdom come, thy will be done. He's standing there as a Jesus type before the time. He's standing there with war paint on. He's standing there in the armor of a warrior king. Standing there at the door of his destiny. Having won battles, he's carrying authority as a warrior king. And his brothers, you know the story, but his brothers had this revelation. They said, oh, my goodness, maybe Joseph's been nice to us because daddy's been alive. But daddy's gone. And Joseph is in power. And Joseph could get vengeance. And they say in verse 17, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. For they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Real men still cry. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? I love that. Don't be afraid. Am I God's place? Am I the judge? Am I your judge? The new covenant says, judge not, so you won't be judged. He's saying the same thing here. Am I in God's place? Am I the one that judges? It's beautiful. Am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I want you to catch a picture of the ups and downs of Joseph coming to this moment, this moment when he was in power, this moment when any baggage he could have said, you're done. You're gone. Punish my brothers. And he stood in this Jesus moment. He stood in a doorway to his destiny. He stood ready to walk through into his eternal destiny. 
Chris Vallotton is a pretty amazing man. He, I, I was just surfing the net the other day. And in 2010, he wrote this, the dogs of doom stand at the doors of your destiny. When you hear them barking, you know you are near your promised land. Most people retreat in fear instead of crossing over and capturing their land. Fear is often disguised as wisdom or stewardship. But it is a Trojan horse sent to steal your destiny. Fear is not your friend. He stood there again. There was a test. His brothers betrayed him. There was a test, a moral failure potential. There was a test. His friends forgot him. And he, he went through every test. Now, the warrior king, now, standing, he went through the, those dogs barking at the door of his destiny, and he gets to go in. I've been trying to think about Joseph as bad news comes my way. Life's tough. No one doesn't get bad news, right? Steve Backlund says, how you handle the problem is more important. Your attitude towards the problem is more important often than the problem. Your attitude toward the problem is more important often than the problem. How do you handle bad news? What was Joseph feeling when Potiphar threw him into jail? What was he feeling when his brothers sold him away? How do you handle bad news? And I'm trying to say, where's Jesus in this? I, I had a couple things come my way in the last week or two. What, how do you handle it? What is your first response to bad news? You might say, I expected it. Oh, it's Murphy's Law. Oh, I, I never get excited because bad stuff always happens. Oh, the other foot, oh, shoe's going to drop. Anybody have that self-talk? I don't let myself get excited because I know it's coming. Murphy's Law. I knew it was coming, just didn't know when. If you think that way, your mind hasn't been renewed. And I have good news for you. Life can get better. The dogs of doom stand at the door of your destiny. Necessity is the mother of invention. Right there, how do you handle it? Do you see, it? Do you see that bad news? God, what are you doing? Where are you? Diverse has come to your mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Lean not to your own understanding. He will direct your paths. How do you handle bad news? Is your first thought, God, where are you? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up. Can I get my, see, Joseph saw something higher. The brothers were living down here, and he says, you meant it for evil, but. Don't miss the conjunctions in the Bible. The ands, the ifs, the buts, they're important. You meant it for evil, but. My God 
hey, this, this boulder coming my way, it looks like evil. This fire looks like evil. This loss, this relationship hassle, this financial mountain looks like evil. God, what are you doing? How do you respond to evil? What if there's a parade of racists in your, na- your city right now, today? How do you respond to evil? What do you do? God, what are you doing? You know, some things look so bad, and then you're a year away from them, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing. You're actually protecting me. This is a two-track message. Sometimes your destiny is on the other side of that adversity. Sometimes you, the way you handle that adversity is the doorway to your destiny. Joseph navigating the obstacles, the potential, and he ended up the warrior. No baggage, no guile, no self-pity. No judgment, no need for revenge. He stood there as a type of Christ and walked and became a type of Savior as he brought his family, brought his nation into prosperity. The dogs of doom were barking at the door of his destiny. Maybe our story won't be told 3,000 years from today. But we have a story. You have a story. I have a story. You have a narrative. I have a narrative. And each one of us can in that, in our later years, we can be those ones like Joseph, no baggage, no guile, like Jesus. You want to, we talk about reigning life around here. that's That's a picture right there. Reigning in life. Joseph was reigning in life right there. It was beautiful. There's another track of this message. I'm trying, you guys are really intelligent. I'm trying to preach two messages at once. They're parallel tracks. And the second one is that your destiny is often found in the needs right in front of you. Needs in your family, needs in your business. But let's talk about church, needs in your church. And churches are pretty complex organisms. If you think about it, it's a band, it's a financial uh, accounting mechanism, it's got children's care ministry, it's got youth ministry, it's got an adult school of ministry. There are missionaries going all over the place. There's support. There's money coming in. There's money going out. It's pretty complex, and it's run by lots of volunteers. If it sounds tough, if we make it look easy, it ain't. And I'm not sure we make it look easy. But think about the volunteers around here. We have 51 people volunteering for hospitality. 23 volunteers in the School of Ministry. Seven or eight in Bethel Life. Bethel Health, almost 30. Worship, 
the worship teams, 40 people. Kingdom Kids, 75 people. Life groups, dozens of people. We're not a big church. It's a complex organism run by volunteers. There's always a need. And there's always something that's less than perfect. So how do you handle that when you see it? Could it be that when you see it, you ever notice you see something, it bothers you, and it's not bothering other people? You ever notice that? Or something's really bothering other people and it doesn't bother you at all? Could be the need is an invitation. Could be you see it because you're being invited in. Could be the need is an invitation into your destiny. I'll tell you some of my story because I look back now 25 years and I see the needs and the yeses were invitations into my destiny. I mean, it doesn't make sense that a business guy minding his own business that doesn't want to be a pastor is one of six or seven Bethel pastors. The story I'm going to tell you are invitations into my destiny for Lindy and me. And so um, 25 years ago, 20 years ago or so, we were in a church and um, it was, uh, I remember going out one night, I remember like in my backyard, the sky was clear, the stars, you know when the stars feel like they're right there, it was a clear night and I remember we had just had life group and I screamed to God, I hate my life group, I hate it, it's terrible. And it's at my house. I can't leave. I'm here before they get here. We're cleaning it up. I'm here after the last person leaves. There's always someone comes early. There's always one somebody stays late. We're cleaning up after. We're cleaning up before. I'm not enjoying it during. I hate my life group. Simultaneously at the same time, our church... Um, we, it was a young church, a lot of working class families, a lot of people kind of living week to week. We had lots of little kids. And uh, I just remember thinking, Lord, um, and we were really diverse. Like this 30 years ago and the church was 30, 40% blacks, 50, 60% white. It was, that's, that was cutting edge in Atlanta 30 years ago. So we were doing some really thing, great things, great church. But I, there was a cry in my heart like, I wish we had some older people with some wisdom and maybe a little bit of financial security, kind of round this thing out. I hate my life group. Some things changed, and uh, Lindy and I ended up leading the life group in our house, and my wife is hospitable and very competitive, and so she decided... Every visitor that came to our church would get an invitation from her to our life group. She'd get them there. You were going to come, and you were going to have fun. <laughs> and in about six months, we had 95 people in our life group. And I was pastoring a small church and on the phone every night, and people were calling, and, and it was just taking up a lot of time every night, every night. 
Lauren's about six years old, says, Daddy, I wish you weren't an elder. That's when it's time to split your life group. So we split it into five groups. It's interesting, of the 95 people that came into that life group, they were all financially stable and older. No committee, no whining to the pastor, no getting on social media, throwing up all over everyone on the planet. We all have things we, I look back and I cringe about, right? We all have those things like, oh, I wish I'd handled that better. We all have some things that we say like, oh, that was kingdom. I didn't even know what I was doing. I did it well. The five, we split into five groups. Four became elders, one with a worship leader. And three of those elders are now senior pastors of churches, vibrant churches in this area. It's a crazy story, isn't it? Sometimes your yes to a need is a doorway to your destiny. That church planted another church called Peachtree Christian Fellowship, and we were helping start that. And I remember vividly, the church was about 100 people in a storefront. Things were going well. I remember a family came in one day, and all-American family, she was a little daughter, 15, 13, and 8. And my heart sank. I thought, they'll never come back. We don't have a youth group. So we started announcing from the front, hey, we need a youth group leader. We need a youth group leader. We need volunteers. We need volunteers. Week after week, no one says yes. No one says yes. That's a big job. No one's saying yes. They're smart. No one's saying yes to that job. <laughs> my wife says, I'll say yes. I said, what? <laughs> I said, honey, I'm having trouble loving my own kids. I'm not going to have any everybody else's. I didn't say that, but it's funny. It always gets a laugh, so we'll do it. We had an inauspicious start, a little storefront church. There was a little room off the ladies' bathroom. They called it the nursing mother's room. It was about six foot by eight foot. We put eight or ten kids in there sitting on the floor. That was the first meeting of the cool youth group in the nursing mother's room. <laughs> and our kids got involved, and we actually ended up building an addition to our house for the youth. And that little church of 100 would sometimes have a youth group of 50 people. And dozens were saved and dozens baptized and at the end of every Wednesday night, we would uh, have table time, and our kids and friends would talk about what God was doing. And those moments are precious to our family. And my kids are serving the Lord, and they don't know anything but serving because of that yes. 
So when I see some folks sometimes will church shop or they'll treat church like it's a restaurant or a neighborhood they need to move in or I'm going to go there because my kids have a, they have a better youth group there. I'm like, dude, you might be missing it. Because we could have gone to the big church for our, they'd love to have us in our family. But what happened in that yes is a doorway to our destiny. The final story is um, the same church. It's a good church, good people, and um, worship was kind of stagnated. You ever been in a church where uh, it's a, it's meant to be a six-speed Ferrari, but it can't get out of third gear? <laughs> and the worship was just... Shift! Please shift. Can't get into fourth gear. We're just. Good people. And this is going month after month after month. And I'm, I used to sit right here where her son is sitting. And I, this was my seat. And one time in worship. And no one would ever be up front. It was, it was, it was. Not like our our worship where everybody goes up front, and uh, it was it was more traditional. It was charismatic light, really. And uh, we believed in all the stuff. We just never saw anything. And I'm sitting here where Rasan is, and we're worshiping, and I hear the Lord, small, still voice go up to the front and lead worship. I'm like, Lord, I, I don't sing, and I don't play an instrument. I'm not a worship leader. You know, he never argues with me. Like, he doesn't entertain my objections. He's like, go up to the front and lead worship. Lord, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to stand. I don't want to be drawing attention to myself. I'm not that guy. Go up to the front and lead worship. So I go up. Lindy's with the kids, so she wasn't there to help me. Uh, and I'm, so I'm right here, like, and none of my friends, none of my kids came to help. I'm just here week after week after week. I want you to be a worship leader. Lead worship. Our last Sunday there, there were little girls playing on the ground with their toys and their dolls, and there's people playing with their flags, and the place is packed, and the Ferrari's in sixth gear, and it's a festival of worship. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, you're a worship leader. Your destiny might be in the need right in front of you. And like Joseph, he could have responded with bitterness, or he could have left, or he could have. But he ended up at the doorway to his destiny, free of baggage, clean, a Christ type.
I just felt there's, there's some people with some mountain financial things in front of them. That boulder, they can't see it moving. There's some relational issues. They can't see it moving. But we're not people who are called to go into self-pity, to shout our issues on social media to anybody who'll listen. Joseph came as a son. I feel like the Lord gave me a little picture this week. Sons and orphans. He could have been an orphan. He had every right to act like an orphan. Abandoned, forgotten. Every reason to act like an orphan. And he walked through as a son, a warrior king's son. And I saw a picture of a yellow pad. I use yellow pads at my office, old school. And one son had written about his dad. I could, I could write a full yellow page about my dad, about how great he was about a man who grew up in Mississippi in the Yazoo City and yet somehow had not an ounce of prejudice, born in the 30s. How do you do that? A man who came from a very, very poor family and worked his way through college and did a year of law school and became a colonel in the Army and a mayor of a little town like he broke through poverty in our family. I could write a page about how he was a quiet man, but I knew he'd die for me. And it would all be true. I could fill up another yellow page of everything I wished I'd had or could have been or opportunities missed or what I wanted in a dad. And it'd all be true. An orphan focuses on that one. And a son focuses on the one that, what he was. They're both true. <laughs> Joseph got to that place of destiny as a son. And that's our destiny. It's a two-track message. There'll be opportunities. It doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything. But there'll be opportunities of needs that you knock down that door and it's your pathway to your destiny. You'll see obstacles and you'll come through them free of baggage. It'll be part of your destiny. So what do you see, do with bad news? God, are you in it? Is this protection? Is this the enemy? So Caritha hit some bad news a few weeks ago. I believe she was a Joseph in her response. Come up here and tell us what was going on there. Y'all welcome Caritha as she comes.
Hey, y'all, how y'all doing? So I live in the city of Noonan, Georgia, and there's probably quite a few people here that live in the city of Noonan, Georgia. And um, about two weeks ago, our neighbor received a letter on their door to invite them to a neo-Nazi protest. And so we live in a diverse community and diverse neighborhood, and my husband was in the backyard, and he was in his backyard, and he came over and showed my husband the letter. And... Uh, you know, they had some, they talked about it, and then my, me and my husband, he came in the house, and we talked about it. And um, I just asked God, I said, God, what do you want me to do about it? I said, how do you want me to pray? And uh, what I didn't tell the first service is he said, I want you to pray for three things. He said, pray for a downpouring of rain. He said, pray for a dismantling of the group. And he said, pray that their eyes and their hearts be turned back toward the light, the love and of who I am. And I said, okay. And then he took me to Matthew chapter 5. And it's 44 through 48. And it's in the red. And Jesus is speaking. And this is what it says. It says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just as well as the unjust. For if you love those which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do so. For if you salute your brethren only, what more are you doing than anyone else? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. And so I have a few followers on Facebook because I go on Facebook Live and I pray about issues that God leads me to pray about for people. And we go on there and we pray until he tells me to stop. And so I took it to Facebook Live and, and I told people, I said, we need your prayers in this city. I said, the enemy's trying to come and gain territory and we need brothers and sisters, to come together and pray. And that's what we did for two weeks at 9 a.m. and 12 noon every day for two weeks. We would get together, and people were coming from all kinds of places and states, and they were coming on and praying at those times every day for two weeks. And I looked around, and it had 1,000 views, and I was really surprised. And the, and the comments were like, we're with you, sister. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. We're praying for you. And it was really, really encouraging. And we were like just holding hands in the spirit, you know, just covering the city that it wouldn't be overcome with fear and that racial reconciliation would be perpetuated in the city. And that's what I was able to do with the help of the Lord and his grace. So he works all things together for good. We'll end, we'll close with this. It's a familiar verse, Romans 8, 28. But I think it's appropriate. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Your destiny is to be glorified. You're walking through obstacles, coming through clean, like we sang about, air getting above, above the snake line, soaring. You're called to be justified, predestined to be glorified, ministers of reconciliation. So Greetha is a minister of reconciliation. Love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your city. Walk, prayer walkers around the, the city of Noonan, that beautiful town square. As you're walking and shopping, you're just prayer walking, like, restore my city, bring life, bring hope, bring grace, bring salvation, bring healing. Let's be ones that reign in life. You have influence over those you care for and love. So let us love our cities, God. Let Noonan, Peachtree City, Fayetteville, Marietta, Atlanta, Douglasville, Decatur, your city. Lord, our city has a destiny to be a city of love. Not just a city of trees, but a city of love. And it has a DNA of reconciliation. And civil rights is a DNA. You're raising up Joseph's. They walk without guile. When they're in power, they don't use it to judge or condemn or hurt. Joseph's. come through the obstacles clean and we see needs not as a place to grumble or complain but actually an open door to our destiny we see problems as where are you Lord what you doing here I'm your son we sang Emmanuel just there's no distance between you and me you're like the breath Emmanuel God with us, raising us up to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let us be in awe of you, God. You're so good. And all the people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.